Good morning. Glad you're here. Congratulations. You got up and got here on time. It's been a challenging morning. We uh, had a problem with the truck that pulls the trailer that all the stuff's in, and so we had to get a new truck. I scrambled. I'd like to say thanks to the guys who scrambled because I think things kicked in. It's funny. I woke up this morning, and I prayed for the truck. The truck is on its last leg. And we have another solution, but we're in the middle of trying to pull that off. And uh, it, it, So they had a challenge. But thanks to the guys who, who worked to pull that together. I also just have a problem with days where the time changes. I don't know. I, I, uh, I need help. I need some kind of technical assistance. I got up an hour early again today. I, I've been using my, my cell phone to wake up, and I don't know. I... I thought I turned it off so it wouldn't connect with the network time, moved the thing for anyway. It got up an hour early. I woke up, and the alarm went off, and I woke up, and Cindy goes, it's, it's, it's 5.15. And I thought, how? Out of a dead sleep. She says, it's, I said, how did you know that? And she said, I've been up. I looked. I looked at the clock. It's, it's 5.15. Oh, no. You know, so anyway. I missed it this morning. I need help. Um, but I know based on what we talked about last week. So you wondered why I was up here rambling, but I actually do have a point. <laughs> I, I know based on what we talked about last week that I have the ability to figure this out, to figure this time change clock deal. I can do it because God, God's made us with that ability. We looked last week at... How God made us uh, to resemble him and to rule over the world. He gave us the, the ability to think and express our thoughts. He gave us the ability to feel and express our emotions. He gave us the ability to uh, decide. We have a will so we can decide what we're going to say and what we're going to do. So I'm pretty confident that I can figure this thing out, hopefully next round in the fall. I'll get this figured out. Um, we also find, as you look at Genesis 1, that's what we talked about last week. We looked at Genesis 1, 26 to 28. As you dig in there, you find out that God made us for relationships. He, he gave us the ability to communicate, to think and feel and communicate, because he wanted us to relate to him and to relate to others around us. Um, Someone said, I've been reading this week, talk about love, so I've been doing some reading this week on different things about love and relationships. Someone said, the key to a fulfilled relationship, <laughs> sorry, I'm just now waking up. It's like an hour later, I apologize. The key to a fulfilled life is relationship. Things do not satisfy, relationships do. And you see in Genesis that God made man, and he, the, one of the comments he made was that it wasn't good for man to be alone, so he made a woman, a helper. He made a compliment to him, an opposite to compliment him. Because it's not good for men and women to be alone. We're, we're to have companionship. We're to have friends. God made us to relate to him, first of all, and to relate to the other people that he's made. Relationships have the greatest impact on our level of happiness or frustration. 
at any given moment in time. They're a gauge of the enjoyment factor in our life. I took Strings Finder 2.0. It's a still, it's a book. You get the book and you go online and you take a test and it, it lists your top five strengths of how you go about things, how you do your work, how you do different things. Well, my top five are harmony, uh, belief, empathy, relator, and responsibility. So my, my top five strengths are like off the charts relationship-wise. But even then, even so, I'm into relationships, friendships, and family relationships and all that stuff. I know how to create disharmony, and I'm pretty good at it. The way you create disharmony is you choose selfishness. You decide that what you want is what's going to happen And then you run into somebody else who what they want is what's going to happen from their perspective. And kaboom, the conflict starts. And I don't like conflict. That's what harmony means. I don't like conflict. That's one of my strengths. I work toward collaboration, pulling people together, moving in a direction. That's what those strengths mean. I don't like it. And I don't think many of us do like conflict. So today what we're going to do is we're going to look at How our family relationships and our friendships fit into God's plan for our life. And how to handle them in a way that really brings His blessing, that pleases Him and brings His blessing into our lives. So in this series, we've been looking at the great objective. The great objective for my life and your life is to bring glory to God in what I do and in the way I do it. To bring glory to God means that you hold him in a high regard. You're concerned about his reputation. You, you speak well of him. If you are a follower of Christ, you bear his name. You live in a way that holds his name in high regard. You want to give him a good reputation since you bear his name. It also means that you give him the proper weight of significance in the way that you live your life. So it, he, you try to figure out what that means. What does it mean? What does he want? What, what should I do? How should I handle this situation right before me i glorify him as i give him the he's he what he says goes he's he's i glorify him as i do what he wants me to do well last week i talked about how difficult it would be to put together a puzzle without the picture on the box and i thought you know that's impossible there's no you know there's no way why would you try to do that well found out some people do that they're called mystery puzzles they don't have the picture on the box and so you don't look at the picture and you put the puzzle together and it tells a little story as you go along. Who would have thought? I hate puzzles anyway. I, I'm not, I'm not going to try to do a puzzle without the picture on the box. I'm just not going to do it. I barely want to do them as it is. But that's fun for some people. That's good, you know. Every, every one of us has, we have different preferences. That's okay. Not knocking it, just saying, wow, why would you want to try to do that? Whatever the case with puzzles... You don't want to try to put life together without being able to see the big picture. Life is much more complex than a puzzle. And so what we've been doing is we've been looking at the big picture. We've been looking at God's perspective. The mountainous things that he said about life. And then trying to figure out what that means for putting the pieces of life together. Last week, we said that glorifying God means that I build my life to honor Him. 
God is over every detail of life, every part of life. And because of Genesis 1, what we learn in the statement there, Genesis 1, 26 to 28, which is called the Great Mandate. It's one of the major statements that you find in Scripture. We learn that God doesn't fit into a compartment of life. But he's over the whole ball of wax. He's over all of life. He is behind every legitimate endeavor that we go after. Family life, science, technology, education, work, recreation, all of it. Can't put him in a box, into a compartment. And God is honored and glorified when we are faithful in handling what God's given us, the relationships and the responsibilities that we have in life. That's how we honor God. Today we're going to look at how we glorify God by growing our relationships in love. And then next week, by making it our ambition to be a disciple and to make disciples. I heard a guy this week say this. He called this the Jesus Creed, and it's certainly at the heart of a lot of what Jesus said and at the heart of his teaching. There's more to what he taught, but this this is one of the key things that he said. Here's what he called the Jesus Creed. Every day, every church, every Christian... Every human is asked to answer one question. How should I treat people? That is the heart of a lot of what Jesus said. We're to ask, how should I treat the people in my life, the people that come across my path? How should I relate? How should I treat my husband, my wife, my kids, my parents, my friends, my coworkers, my boss, my employees, my roommate, my brother, my sister? Uh, my acquaintances, strangers, enemies. How should I treat these folks? How, how should I relate to them? If we learn the right answer to that question and we live it, our happiness factor goes way up. Our joy gauge gets pinned on full. If we learn that and live it. So Jesus teaches us that love is the measure for everything we do and say. That's what we're going to get into today, his teaching on this. Luke 10, 25-28, says a teacher of the law came up and tried to trap Jesus. Now this guy, he had a question, but it wasn't really an honest question. He came to mix it up in a debate with Jesus. And it's interesting to watch how this goes. He, he asked a good question, but he had an agenda. It was a good question with a bad motive. And here's his question. Teacher, he asked. What must I do to receive eternal life? Jesus was asked this question on several occasions. It was actually a very common question, you know, when the religious people would sit around and debate and talk and discuss and everything. They would ask this question and then they would come up with their answers for it. So it's a very good question, common question that was asked in religious circles. And Jesus answered him like this. What do the scriptures say? How do you interpret them? The man answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as you love yourself. You are right, Jesus replied. That, that was a great answer. He hit the nail on the head. Je- Jesus actually had given the same answer in another conversation. And he, Jesus said in that conversation, he said, 
These two verses, what the, guy, the man did, he was a lawyer, he understood the law, the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, the, the law, that's what he was referring to. He understood that, and he quoted two verses from the law, from the first five books. It's a lot of, a lot of verses. And, he, and Jesus said, those two summarize the entire Old Testament, the entire law and the prophets, love God and love people. That's how you please God. That's how you inherit eternal life. That's how you gain it. So Jesus responded, wow, that, that was a great answer. Good, good deal. And then Jesus adds something. He says, do this and you will live. So that's the summary. Do this. The man gives a great answer to his own question. Jesus sort of brought it out of him. He, he nails it. Bingo, Jesus says. What has happened is God has given us one motive behind everything we say and do. One motive. Love. Love for him. That translates into love for the people around us. It's a, it's a, it's a really a brilliant summary of what God expects. Love is God's standard of measure. You love God by doing what he told you to do. I love God by doing what he told us to do in the scripture. He's given, actually, he's given his law out of love for us. His commands are designed to keep us from hurting ourselves and hurting the people around us and to bring us to the things that bring healing, that give us healing. In our, in our lives. And so, he's given us commands for that, and we show our love for God by trusting him enough to obey his law, his, his word, his scripture. And we love God by loving the people that he's made. That's part two of the right answer the man gave. But notice that Jesus turns love into a verb. Do this, and you will live. And that unsettled the lawyer because he was he was trying to get into a theological debate he wanted to stay at the knowledge level and jesus wouldn't let him stay in the realm of theory but he brought him right into the realm of everyday life do this and you will live this is how you gain eternal life you do this jesus pushes him past the realm of theory into the realm of action. He gets him out of the abstract, into the concrete, the lawyer. This unsettled the lawyer. So look at what happens. Jesus then expands our circle. He expands his circle of concern and our circle of concern in the parable of the Good Samaritan. So this is what happened next. But the teacher of the law wanted to justify himself. What happened is Jesus said, do this. And the man thought, oh, I've got to do this. I've got to love God. And I've got to love people. And he thought, I, I need to find out who that in, who's included in that circle of people that I need to love. So he, he wanted to justify himself, and he asked a second question with an agenda. Jesus turning love into a verb tweaked the man's conscience. Because he realized he hadn't really done that. If he was honest with himself, he had not loved everyone that he's come across in his life. 
And so he asked another question. He already had the answer in mind. He asked, who is my neighbor? His answer was, the Jewish folks like myself. The ones I really enjoy, the people I click with, I bonded with them. They're, they're, they're just like me, and we, we really enjoy each other. And I want to shrink my circle down to the people that I just really like and exclude everybody else. My people, the ones I click with. He already had the answer in mind, but Jesus answered. And when, when it says Jesus answered this time, it uses a different word than the prior answer. This one in the Greek it was written in means to take up. So he took, this man was thrown down a challenge. Jesus took, took it up. And he tells a story that shows who his neighbor is and how you, you love people. So we're going to get into that. Dallas Willard says that one way Jesus used parables was to correct attitudes. So he told stories to help us correct our attitudes, to help the people of his day that he was talking to, and ourselves as well, since we get the privilege of reading about them. So he tells a story that had a very real setting. So a lot of people believe that it could have happened. It might not have been a parable. It might not have been a story that Jesus just made up in order to use as a teaching tool. It might have actually happened because it's in such a real setting. He, he says this, he says, there once was a man uh, who was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when robbers attacked him, stripped him, and beat him up, leaving him half dead. This, was, this road from uh, Jerusalem to Jericho was treacherous terrain. It was, it was in 17 miles, it dropped 3,300 feet. So it was, it was straight down, and... One guy I read said, if you took, you know, the waves when, when the, the ocean's all stirred up and the waves are going up like this, if you took the waves and you froze them, that's, that's the kind of terrain. Very jagged rocks, caves, caverns. You're walking down this road in the midst. Of, there's a, there are a lot of places for robbers to hide, places for people to lurk and wait for you to come along and take you out. And so this is what, this is what happened. It, it, this guy was left for dead. He was robbed. And being robbed like this would have been a fear of the listeners. They knew this road. They had the picture in their mind. They, they were, it's kind of, you don't walk down a dark alley at night alone, you know. This is that kind of road. You don't do that. And so he goes on. It says, it so happened that a priest was going down that road, but when he saw the man, he walked by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite also came there, went over and looked at the man, and then walked by on the other side. 12,000 priests lived in Jericho, so this was common, priests and Levites. Priests were uh, men who were responsible of offering to God for the people, to represent God before the people. And Levites were the people in the temple who took care of all the details for the priests. So these, these were religious folks who were held in high regard, they should have known better. They should, they should have. They, actually, it was their duty to take care of people. But it says they came upon this guy that had been beaten up, and they just kind of stepped on the other side of the road. And the road wasn't like the 405. The road was like a sidewalk. And so they almost probably had to step around the man and just ignore what was going on. And as the, the people listening to the story heard Jesus talking, this scene is starting to unfold in their mind, and they're, I'm, I'm sure they're wondering, who's going to be the hero? 
Who's going to be the hero of the story? You know, I'm sure the religious guys, they blew it. They didn't, you know, they didn't get it. So the religious guys blew it. Now, who's going to be? The, it's going to be a normal, everyday, ordinary guy like me. Just a, an ordinary Jewish guy. And Jesus continues with the story. But a Samaritan, Jews hated Samaritans. They hated him, and I'll tell you why in a little bit. But a Samaritan who was traveling that way came upon the man, and when he saw him, his heart was filled with pity. His heart was filled with compassion. He went over that way. Uh, he, he went over to him, poured oil and wine on his wounds and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own animal and took him to the inn. So he was riding on an animal. He put the man on his animal. He walked the rest of the way to the hotel, to the inn. He took care of the man at the inn. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave him to the, them to the innkeeper. Take care of him he told the innkeeper, and when I come back this way, I will pay you whatever else you spend on him. Now, this is what Jesus does. He shifts the focus from duty to love. This man had a heart of compassion. The lawyer wanted a list. He wanted a list of requirements. Give me the list so I can make God happy and get into heaven. Jesus shifts the entire focus from duty to love. And he puts a Samaritan as the hero of the story. The underlying lesson to this whole thing is incredible. But this Samaritan, what he does is he responds to the need out of compassion. He risks his personal safety because a lot of times they do what they do today. You know, you get... Uh, somebody's hurt on the side of the road, you stop to help them, and the other robbers are waiting. Boom, they take you out. And so he risked his personal safety just to stop and help the man. And then he broke through social barriers to, to stop and help the man. Um, he, not only could it have been a setup, but as he carried the man into town on his donkey to, to a Jewish city, they would have been thinking, that this guy did this to this man. What, what? I bet he beat him up. I mean, you know, they could, he could have been falsely accused, could have been attacked himself. So he broke through social barriers, and he spends time and money to meet the man's need. He, he, like, he left his visa card with the innkeeper to take care of everything else. Jesus concluded, now this is, this is a great move by Jesus here. In your opinion, which one of these three acted like a neighbor toward the man who was attacked by robbers. The teacher of the law answered, the one who was kind to him. He wouldn't even say the Samaritan. He wouldn't use the word because he hated Samaritans. And that's the beauty of what Jesus did here. One thing we learned, don't mess with Jesus in a debate. Because he backed this guy into a corner. He had, he had to admit the Samaritan was a good guy. He creamed the lawyer in this debate. He, he got it. The hero was a Samaritan. Jews hated Samaritans because what happened is uh, a few hundred years before this, the Jewish people were conquered. Israel was conquered by Babylon. And the cream of the crop of the Jewish people were taken to Babylon in exile. The Jewish folks that remained, they intermarried with Gentiles. And so that's where Samaritans come from. They're half Jewish, half Gentile. And Jewish folks hated 
these Samaritans. Because when the cream of the crop, the pure bloods came back, they looked down on the Samaritans. So Jesus is getting a little extra poke in there by making the, the, the hero of the story a, a Samaritan. And he really threw them a, a curveball by doing that. Now, another thing Dallas Willard says about parables is he used parables to uh, overcome prevailing assumptions of the day. And people in this time, this day and age, thought that you had to do something to gain eternal life. That's, that's actually a common belief today. So, to, to overcome this assumption, he tells this story. And we read that the man was trying to justify himself. He, he was trying to justify himself by narrowing the circle of his concern. You know, God, if it, who's my neighbor? It's just people like me that I don't have to really stretch to love, or I don't have to take much of a risk. Can I just narrow down the circle so I can do this? But what Jesus did is he forced him to view people with a wide-angle lens. God's requirement is for you to love every person that you come across throughout your day. So what he did is he, he may help the man to realize God's requirements are limitless. Every day, every moment almost, we have an opportunity either to love God or love the people that he brings into our life. Who has been loving and kind to everyone they've ever met? I haven't. I'll be able to admit that. Who has been loving and kind to even their own family every opportunity they get? Not me. And so what he did in telling this story is, he helped the man realize, and he's trying to help you and I realize, we can't meet the requirements of the law. We have blown it. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So this man was trying to justify himself. That's impossible. You and I, we cannot justify ourselves. Jesus, though, what he does is, he brings into the, this conversation a grace-based system because we can't justify ourselves but God has justified us in Jesus Christ by giving him on the cross what the man should have done rather than challenging Jesus after he stated the love God and love people he should what he should have said is how do you do that I haven't done that how is it that you do that? He should have thrown himself at Jesus' feet and asked for God's mercy. But instead, he challenges him in order to justify himself. And we learn something here. You cannot justify yourself. When you're trying to be self-righteous and justify yourself, you always look down on people because you're in competition with them. You've got to put yourself above them because you're battling for God's approval. But you find in Scripture that God has already given his approval in Jesus Christ. For those who accept what Jesus Christ has done on the cross on our behalf, we get his righteousness. And so he forgives. He pours out his mercy on you. The motive to love other people grows out of experiencing the mercy of God. 
It's out of your desire to please the one who has shown mercy. So when the lawyer tried to narrow the scope of his concern, Jesus opened it wide. He wouldn't allow him to do that. I've been rereading a book I read a long time ago by Oscar Thompson, and it's called Concentric Circles of Concern. And he starts, he draws these circles. Self, family, relatives, friends, neighbors and associates, person X. This man wanted to draw a very tight circle and he, because he was trying to justify himself. Jesus won't let us do that. Thompson goes on to say this. When Jesus becomes our Lord, we forfeit the right to choose who we'll love. That, that is true. We forfeit the right. We're to love everybody that comes because that's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus does. That's what God does. He loves every person on the face of the earth in a very practical way. So don't try to justify yourself because you can't. Actually, Scripture, Romans 10, 9, and 10, it's not in your outline, but I'm just going to throw it in for free. It says, Because if you confess with your lips that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For man believes in his heart and so is justified. This is how we're justified. We believe that Jesus Christ came, died on the cross for our sins, and was raised to new life. And that's how we're justified. We cannot justify ourselves. So this is important. Don't try to shrinkle your shrinkle. That's a new word. Don't try to shrink your concern down, your circle, shrinkle. It's a combination of shrink and circle. Usually these words I come up with, they they come from somewhere. <clears throat> Love according to Jesus is practical, it's characteristic of his followers, and it's sacrificial. This is how you grow relationships in a way that glorifies God. First of all, it's, it's a practical matter. Well, I wanna, want you to watch a very brief video. Um, Ryan and Carlene Eaton are going to share with us about uh, how they've experienced God's love and how it drew them to, to himself. I think God drew us to him by surrounding us in a community of people that took God seriously and were living life his way. Um, when we came to CIV, that was... Uh, an example that was shown to us in a practical way very early. Um, not too long after we started coming to CIV, we moved. And we had moved a number of times before, and it was just the two of us, maybe one other person helping out. It was very exhausting and stressful. Usually it would end up uh, taking a couple days. Um, but again, we were still pretty new to CIV. We ended up moving, and we had uh, a number of people show up to help. Uh, some people we didn't really know that well. And just to see them willingness to show up and serve was, was a big um, example of, of God's love and, and these people living God's way. And once we came, just the community of people investing in our lives uh, was just amazing. And before we even became believers, people were praying for us. And uh, once we did commit our lives to Christ and became believers, then they just helped us with our spiritual growth and encouraging us and helping us with questions we had and how we to do that in a practical way, which was just amazing. And the fact that they invested in our kids as a parent was really, again, just amazing because we weren't doing life on our own. We had this group, this community of people that were helping us raise our kids and 
just for that example of practical ways of putting the goals and interests of others above ourselves was just amazing and really impacted our family and our kids as far as serving other people and in those teachable moments when my daughter or our daughter would ask why we were doing things. We could really show her that it was out of God's love we were doing that. So there it is. It's an example of just practical love. And that's that's love according to Jesus. He he entered a room with his disciples toward the end of his life one time. Uh, they were going to celebrate the Passover. And he, you know, they got into the house and the the lowest of the slaves in the house at the time in that day would wash the feet of the people in the house because they'd been outside and, you know, sandals and, and things and the feet were dirty. So they would put on a towel and they would get a basin and they would wash the feet. Jesus looked around. Nobody was taking the initiative to do that. He put on the towel, he grabbed the basin, and he washed the disciples' feet. Very, very practical matter to show love to the people. This is what he said right after he washed their feet. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must also love one another. Oscar Thompson later said, if I follow Christ, I don't give people what they deserve. I give them what they need. It's exactly what God does with us. He, he hasn't given us what we deserve. He gives us what we need. He has met our needs in a very, very <clears throat> practical way. This is to be a characteristic of followers of Christ. This is what it means to follow him. Verse 35 of John 13 says, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. In Francis Schaeffer's book, The Mark of a Christian, he says that love is the badge that we wear as Christians. And if the world around sees Christians and they're not unified and they're not showing love to one another, they have every right to say, you aren't really following Christ. This is the core of what it means to follow him. And finally, Jesus' love, it's practical, it's characteristic of his followers, and it's sacrificial. Greater love, Jesus says in John 15, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Robert Coleman, in a book where he was describing Jesus' way uh, of getting to the world, he said, love is always giving itself away when it is self-contained, it is not love. When you try to keep it in a small little circle, that's not really love. God wants us to bust wide open and begin to show his love to everybody that crosses our path, everybody that we meet. Like the Samaritan, love means that we meet needs even when it's risky, even when it might be misunderstood, or when it makes us nervous, or we're not sure how it's going to turn out, or it's inconvenient. This is, this is how we show love. Do you want to build relationships that glorify God? If you do, show the person right in front of you love. person right in front of you. This is how you do it. This is how you bring glory to God. As we're living life in the flow of life with, with our families, our friends, everybody we come across throughout the day, we, we love God and we love them by caring for them. We're going to be receiving our offering in a few moments. I'd like to ask you to take out your connection cards in your program. 
and look at the next steps on the back. There's some next steps that you could check off if you'd like. Um, these are some suggestions. There may be some other things that came to your mind that you might want to do in response to, to hearing the message this morning. But the first one would be to memorize John 13, uh, 34 and 35, just to remember. This is a core characteristic. This is how people know that I'm a follower of Christ. I love them. I love the people around me. Second step would be to read John 13 and write down lessons on love from Jesus' example and from his teaching there. Uh, another step would be look for ways to show love to a Samaritan in your life this week. Maybe there's somebody that, you, you know, it's kind of hard to love them. You don't get along that well. Look for ways to show love to them. Break through some barriers and, and set out to show love to them. And then finally, consider serving on a mission project. We have several mission projects that our growth groups do. Growth groups started a, a few weeks ago. And one of the things we do as a part of the growth group is to, to serve uh, in, in the community somehow and to serve the community in, in some way. Um, and so they're coming up Saturday. The Project Lifeline Mission Project is, is taking place. That is an organization that helps women and children uh, transition out of chronic homelessness. So we're going to help them in some, with some projects around their property. Um, on the 2nd of April, Alternate Avenues, we're going to serve them uh, with, with a, an event they're doing, a crisis pregnancy counseling center uh, in Montclair. We're going to help on the 9th with the L.A. Food Bank. And then we're going to hand out some door hangers in the neighborhood here to let people know about our Easter celebration coming up on uh, the 9th and the 10th. So if you, if you aren't in a group, you haven't signed up for one of these mission projects, and you'd like to, you'd like to serve, to show love to the people around you, just check that box and we'll send you the info about the times, the days, the times, and, and you can let us know that you're interested in helping out with some of those things. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the truth that we find in your word. Thank you, Jesus, for teaching us how to really love. How, thank you for sacrificing your life, for loving us that much and in that way so that we could be forgiven, so we could experience your mercy and, and have an opportunity to love out of a different motive, not to, to be, your, be approved by you, but to because we have your approval and we've experienced your mercy, we can love those around us. And God, help us to do that. Help us step by step in practical ways to meet the needs of those around us, Lord. I ask for your help in this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.